Everybody can hear us and see us, and we're moving. Chat, let us know if something's wrong or you can't hear us. What's up, Lobster Falcon? Let's check that mic. Hello, hello. Welcome, Rob. Nice. I can hear you. All right. Awesome. Yeah, chat, let us know if uh, you know we, we freeze up, it mutes, something goes wrong. Just let us know. We'll get it fixed. Uh, this is the fifth episode of Night City Live. We haven't done this in months. Uh, we haven't done this in a while. Uh, my buddy Lobster Falcon, who's been my partner in this series since day one, uh, is a dad had to take some time off, do some family stuff, man. Congratulations. How has that been? Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Uh, being a dad is great and it makes me very happy to realize I don't live in a cyberpunk dystopia just yet. Uh, so it's... <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I imagine, uh, it's, I know you took a bunch of time off, uh, getting into that. I, I know you've probably been busy as hell and I'm sure it's, it's not slowing down. Although I am happy for you to be back. Um, I see you running gameplay and, uh, you know, kind of getting back online and doing things again. And obviously you're here again. So we're doing another episode of Night City Live. So I'm happy. Um, Super happy excited to get back in the saddle. Thanks, Rob. It's, uh, uh, there's nothing more than I like talking about RPG stuff. So this yeah, is yeah. Uh, it's always a privilege. Yeah, me too. Um, so, yeah, before we get into it, before we get into today's topic and, you know, totally dive into all that stuff. Let's just uh, do a little bit of a shout out, you know, like uh, take the mic for a moment. Tell people, uh, you know, what you got going on, where they can find you online, uh, Night City Stories, all that stuff. Sweet. Um, so if you are looking to play Cyberpunk Red and you don't have a home game, uh, Night City Stories is the place for you. It is the largest living community of Cyberpunk Red online. Uh, we have games all of the time. Um, for those that don't know, a living community is a shared universe where multiple GMs run games inside of a uh, of the of the same universe. Uh, you play on different GMs' tables or run your own games. Uh, we're always looking for more GMs to create more, uh, and the universe stays together. So it's not like you have to um, always push things along yourself. Uh, the world moves and grows, and you can find games with people online all of the time. Uh, the one thing I want to shout out most about Night City Stories that I love uh, is that we uphold the true punk ethos. If you're a fascist or a chud, you will be banned. Uh, we try and keep the try and keep the place uh, clean and a fun place to play. Uh, and so if you uh, don't fit the punk ethos, get the hell out. Love it. <laughs> uh, you can find us online at um, on Discord of the Cyberpunk Red uh, or sorry, the uh, Night City Stories Discord, as well as Reddit uh, slash Night City Stories. Uh, and there's all the instructions on how to get access to the Discord, uh, log in, make your first character uh, and do all that kind of stuff. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And anybody that's part of our Discord, uh, we link to them in our West Marches uh, channel. Uh, but yeah, before I uh, get into that, just shout out to everybody in chat that showed up early. Uh, I see a bunch of familiar faces like Wookie Kev, uh, Miss Magitech, uh, Jenny Glitz, my beautiful wife, Valerie. What's up? Uh, Savage McNavage, Kevin, who's helped me with a bunch of 3D print stuff for the next uh, upcoming film. Um, but yeah, awesome. Uh, really like to, to see. Well, I, I like the fact that you're back in the saddle. Uh, you're pushing Night City Stories again. And like I said, I've been seeing it more and more online and uh, I'm excited about that. Um, 
I'm GM Rob Mulligan. I am the founder of what was Cyberpunk Uncensored, now Cyber Nation Uncensored. We're expanding a bit, not only um, because of some upcoming merchandise, a Kickstarter, and just some legalities behind the name and logo, uh, but also because we, we're expanding. We're getting into more and more dystopian and sci-fi and futuristic stuff, not only Cyberpunk, although that is the driving force with us here. We love it. That's my ultimate favorite. Uh, but we are doing some Fallout, some upcoming Dune. Uh, there's some other things in the works. But um, but yeah, that's uh, that's what's up with the the name change, the logo change, and stuff. Uh, we'll probably be doing an official live stream and big announcement about that uh, more and more as that develops. Uh, we're kind of baby stepping our way into that because it is a big process. Um, but yeah, check out uh, Cyber Nation Uncensored on Twitch, on YouTube. We're also on Twitter. Uh, we have the Discord, the Facebook group. Uh, some of the search engines might still be coming up under cyberpunk uncensored, but I have been making all the transitions into cyber nation uncensored. So help search for that, help share those links, help me get that word out. That would be awesome. Um, the last time I was here, Rob, I saw, uh, primarily your sponsor was Sirenscape, uh, for the really cool tabletop sounds. Uh, but I see you have a couple other sponsors. Who are those new guys? Um, well, they've been here for a while. Like, I think I've kind of revamped the front there, but uh, Cyberfight Clothing, uh, which I'm going to be doing a whole promo video for them coming up sometime soon. Uh, awesome t-shirts and designs, very cyberpunk style, so Cyberfight Clothing. Uh, Lion Banner Games, they make all my uh, animated and static maps that I use for my live stream gameplay. Um, and then Modifius Entertainment. Uh, as you know, I'm I'm down with our Talsorian Games because of Cyberpunk, but I got into Fallout and Dune because of Modifius Entertainment. Uh, Chris, the owner of that company, and everyone at Modifius has just been absolutely awesome uh, to us here and the brand. Uh, at the time, it was Cyberpunk Uncensored, but like I said, Cyber Nation Uncensored now. Uh, but yeah, those are the sponsors that we've been working with, and they've been just a, a big part of every stream uh, for a long time so i love promoting them and talking about them and obviously the number one is sirenscape bringing awesome sounds to the gameplay and more like i'm going to bring up some city sounds right now for us um so people in the stream can have a little bit of ambiance some uh vehicles maybe the occasional siren or combat or something you never know but um but there's the city sounds uh, we're deep into night city live uh before we get into today's topic i want to give a shout out to my patron supporters over on patreon the ones that have opted in for the shout out uh will huddleston naomi madlass leaded coffee michael edmonds aka kira chris anderson dolan pondsmith steve barr of sirenscape uh, matt james which is also reservoir gm reservoir panda uh, revolver gray samurai mac uh, zach who's also gm uh, capricious nature streams with us every Saturday. his nomad campaign and he's got a fallout campaign starting up uh, next week uh, Rothen, which is uh, Renegade420, Raven, Andy Stretton, Charles Charles Fodel, Kevin Moreno, who is also uh, one of our streamers. We've been doing some one-shots, and he's been helping me out with some uh, movies stuff. Uh, Rufio, Rufio, Rayan, and Jamie Minch. Uh, thanks so much for supporting uh, on the Patreon. You All of you are seriously the fuel on my fire. You keep the series and content going and uh, the motivation up, so I really appreciate that. And shout-out uh, to Kafrik, Kafik. Uh, for the subscribe there. Really appreciate it. Um, all right, cool. Let's get into it. This topic, this episode, the fifth episode of Night City Live is all about NPCs, non-player characters. Um, they're kind of the the characters that all your players interact with. They're, they're the things that are making the world uh, living. You know, they're the living people in it. They're the NPCs all around. 
what I'd like to do, uh, just to, obviously every time we do these episodes, the live streams, I like to keep it open because if chat has something to contribute, put it out there in chat, we'll address it, we'll bring it up, we'll make it part of uh, the conversation. But, um, but even with how free-flowing we are in conversation, we like to give it a little bit of structure. So we're just going to kind of talk about the different types of NPCs when it comes to like characters, personality types, maybe how it relates to Night City. Um, I've got some ideas of how I typically look at it. Um, and then we can get into, uh, you know, ways that we use them in gameplay. We can discuss that, like clever ways to kind of put them into plots and use NPCs. And then at the end, we'll get into, uh, you know, stats, you know, how we kind of create our NPCs to use them in gameplay. Um, and then, like I said, any questions from chat, any contributions, we'll address that too. So let's get into it. Um, my first thought when I think of NPCs I usually base them first, you know, if they're not just going to be some generic person, uh, just some generic living being in the city, and then I might kind of base that on district, and I'll get into that maybe next. The first thing I, I kind of look at is making NPCs almost mirror image or relatable to roles as if it was an edge runner or something. Like, it won't be an exact fixer or solo or, uh, you know, med tech or this and that, but they might have those traits like they work for a clinic or a ripper doc or they're a hired mercenary style solo you know like they have all those same sorts of traits even if they're not uh, a full-on player character or edge runner or like i don't i hate saying like the star of the show because in cyberpunk there's really no hero or whatever it's not like a fantasy game but but you know what i mean even with an npc sometimes i'll relate them to a role i'll give them that sort of job or whatever position in the world yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important to uh, structure your NPCs around something that makes sense in universe, right? And the easiest way to do that is to pick character classes as they exist, and then use that as an opportunity as like a, a skeletal structure. Um, this is especially important when you're choose when you're picking what I kind of think as a NPC protagonist, right? So um, characters who are actively doing stuff in the world. Um, and like within within like the set of allies, there's going to be multiple tiers of of how you define characters. And so what Rob's talking about here is like a uh, somebody who matters in the cyberpunk world. And in in a lot of storytelling elements, there are people who don't matter. Um, and I'll, those are type of people that I consider as like window dressing, set dressing, right? Like they're just people that you describe, you know, the the lady with the living in the trash bag on the street, right? That's just to set ambiance. Then there's the next set of people up. Who, are, who solely exist to be hooks. And the difference between a set piece and a hook is that a hook is experiencing conflict uh, of some nature, because uh, all plot is related to conflict. And then the step up after that is the NPC protagonist. It's a person who not only is experiencing conflict, but has agency. And when you have somebody who has agency, you need to give them tools to use that agency. And I think that's exactly where you start building them all right, if they have agency, what is it through? Is it through their social skills? Is it through their ability to kick people in the teeth? Is it through their tech skills? Um, and in Cyberpunk Red, uh, the easiest thing to do is to um, start scaffolding them after a role. Uh, so I agree entirely. Yeah, and like uh, Jenny Glit Glitz says, the book uh, goes into roles as having in fiction consequences more so than classes in other games. Oh, exactly, like the life path stuff. But as pertaining to NPCs, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, they almost have, like, those different tiers of, I don't know, quote-unquote, importance to the plot and to the actual game. Um, that sort of, uh, but to me, like, whether the, the 
sort of background window dressing style NPC or like, uh, you know, uh, hook intensive uh, uh, sort of um, NPC that's like more, more involved in the plot or like a full on like going to be a partner to the team and part of the, the play for the GM to run like that, that level of NPC. For me, no matter which one it is, I always tend to start with like before I start getting into like character, personality, quirks, like even a physical trait or something to remember by, like a, he had a hook for a hand or something, you know, whatever. Uh, before I get into like those little bells and whistles, those fun little flavors, um, I always tend to start with like, like I said, the job. You know what I mean? Like that'll kind of be the backbone of it. And I think, like you said, even with. Um, like the window dressing you mentioned, like the the lady, uh, I forget what the first one you said. Who's in a trash bag? <laughs> exactly, you know, like trash bag chic sort of lady, you know, on in the alley or whatever. So even there, like you're automatically associating that like a, a scaver, you know, like they're a, you know, part of kind of like the scavenger sort of crew going through the city or coming out of the hot zone maybe or whatever. Just like sometimes my other NPCs, I'll instantly associate them with like, like I said, being like a med tech style or working for a clinic or having something to do with medicine, a paramedic or some type of job with that. Or if there's some type of mercenary or security, it always starts with me for like a, a, a job or purpose, like within the world, um, just to kind of put them in, in place in the world. Then I kind of get into, okay, how is, how are they associated with the ongoing story and plot and stuff as, as it pertains to the characters and like the game itself, not just the big world. Right. And then they might have a couple little tie-ins to that or a way that that might be interacted, whether the players engage or not, it's there, you know. Then I then I sprinkle on some of that flavor, like, you know, give them, like, a scar, certain cybernetics, or a missing eye, or, like, a limp, or a weird accent, or they're, they're dressed in all white, or all this. Or, you know, like, you give them some type of, like, flavor thing, so it's that much easier to remember them if they're going to be something as interacted with. Um, if it, even if it's background, because sometimes players will take a background NPC and start interacting, and then you got to give it some flavor and some shit. You know what I mean? But how do you start with, uh, um, like, do you start with kind of setting up the the, the tier or the level of NPC, and then like, how how do you kind of develop it initially? So uh, it depends on if we're talking um, uh, a protagonist or an antagonist, right? Good guy, bad guy, or set piece. Um, but primarily, what I'm looking to do. Um, if I'm just building, let's just say a person and they could be a good guy or a bad guy. They're a person with their own agency in Night City doing stuff. Uh, an example I like to think of this is like um, the chief of police, right? The, hypothetically, they could be an ally or a villain um, to edge runners, depending on the context they're in. So we give them a role, just like you said, they're the chief of police. And I start thinking from there of who is this person and what are their goals can i figure out like their top three goals because their goals being different from the edge runners goals is going to be the source of conflict which is where the source of all interesting plot comes in um and from there if i can give somebody a role and some goals um and then some agency to achieve those goals so you know what what do they want to achieve what tools do they have to achieve it um how can i then describe this person in an interesting enough way to that to show their motivations so uh, an example that i'll give let's say we have a chief of police who they have just been told that if they don't clean up little china they're going to get fired that's their so top of the way their number one goal is don't get fired 
Now that's interesting because it's different from Clean Up Little China, which is a secondary but subsidiary goal. So if you now know that that, that character wants to not get fired and clean up Little China, you have two options. You could help them clean up Little China and become their ally, or you could avoid doing that and help them not get fired by doing other spooky edge runner stuff like blackmailing their boss to also make them their ally. <laughs> or if you're opposed to cleaning up Little China because that's where you're running your cool cyberpunk gang out of and you want it to stay edgy, you now have made them their enemy. So you can, you as long as you have those goals in your mind as a GM, and they can just be three bullet points, you know, somewhere, you can build a dynamic character that reacts in a way that's reasonable and not just like a character on railroads by just keeping those interesting conflicts in mind oh yeah most definitely i, I like to give npcs some type of motivation um, if not one a few and then that helps also kind of drive that personality so no matter how the players interact with you know said npc i can somewhat qu quickly react i mean obviously players are going to throw you a curveball maybe you know and you're going to need to take a quick breath you know but um but typically i'll i'll be able to just kind of lean on what i've already developed as the npcs like either you know core job and motivation for existing in the world or and then backed up with like a motivation in life like whether it's like some family stuff or like their, their crooked kind of criminal light background stuff or whatever like i'll give them at least like some type of motivation that helps with direction. So like no matter what happens, I I know like does the reaction from the NPC need to be like positive or negative or you know what I mean? Part of, of the story or maybe kind of you know, protagonist antagonist sort of vibe, you know. Yeah. Um so could you give an example of maybe a character that you've fleshed out in one of your games? Um yeah, I mean I've got I've got a few. Uh one in particular, um I've got this Leviticus a uh, guy that I do in the sir I did in the Sirenscape uh, don't have a cow campaign. I do that every uh, Thursday on the Sirenscape Twitch channel. Um, we just finished the Nip It in the Bud campaign, and I'm getting ready to get into the next uh, campaign starting this Thursday. Actually, everyone should check that out. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Leviticus Jebediah Davenport, uh, the the fourth, I think, or well, in Cyberpunk, I think he was like the seventh, um, and then I have him kind of. Uh, bleeding over into a fallout where it's like the 23rd he comes from a long line so i've crossed him over into different universes as well because i fleshed this sort of like southern dixie royalty npc out where um his whole sort of uh existence is this like wealth and pride driven uh power hungry sort of uh position but he runs this militia um so he's and he's been around long enough that because of battle in his history with military and things like that he's he's borderline cyber psychosis with all the things that he he's been implanted so his motivations and his uh actions definitely come at a sacrifice of you know people around them and just humanity in general um but i think the the best part about that character my most fun part about it is the fact that I've made it like um, this just over the top personality that comes from like a long family line where I've, I've added numbers to the, the end name to be able to kind of flip it to other universes and stuff, which is just fun for the brand as well, you know? You do a voice for him? Oh, yeah, yeah. He comes with that. What's that, his voice? That Southern Dixie charm, sir. You need to uh, <laughs> yeah. recognize that, you know, I'm here for a purpose and, uh, that purpose is so, uh, to make that money, sir. 
So, um, because I'm completely insane, you reminded me about something that I'm going to post in the chat. Um, so if you're ever in need of reasons why people do bad things, where's the first place you look? The literature for the CIA. So, um, in the literature for the CIA, specifically around um, how you convert people to be double agents, uh, and I posted a list of it in the chat, it did a poor formatting. Um, but there's multiple things that you consider, uh, and so always remember um, uh, mice and rascals, right? So mice is the thing that drives people to do things against what they think they should. Money, ideology, coercion slash compromise, and excitement. So if you're ever trying to figure out like why would somebody um why would somebody uh do something that is against their best interests or be a bad guy use one of those three tools or one of those four tools it's going to be very straightforward right um <laughs> so money right that's the obvious one but that also represents any kind of material gain any other type of wealth or power that you can contribute to a person that's going to be helping them get promoted that's going to be giving them actual cash that's going to be giving them guns you know some kind of monetary return uh, the second one is going to be ideology right ideology is going to be belief but ideology includes one of the most important things in the world revenge People do psycho things for ideology and revenge, and you have to be able to make it possible, right? Um, and that's a reason that they'll go for. Um, coercion or compromise, uh, that's strong-arming people to do bad stuff, um, commonly known as blackmail. Um, but there's all sorts of reasons that people don't want to do things and are scared, and that's your tool to make them do that. Um, and then excitement. Uh, you would be very surprised if you read uh, about classic spies and double agents how many of them were excited to do horrific things um for the sheer adrenaline of it uh numerous world war one and world war two spies the most famous double agents of all time generally inside of uh, other agencies were doing it because they wanted to feel like real spies uh, so you don't actually need good reasons for people to do stuff because people are dumb uh <laughs> so um the the second thing within there uh is rascals now, RASCALS stands for uh, the tools that you can use to build uh, trust. So how does somebody have leverage over another person? So this is gonna be if you have a an NPC that you're building and you've decided, all right, um, my Southern gentleman with charm, he's actually gonna betray the party. Now, why would he betray the party? Well, he has, uh, not only he needs money um, to keep his family business afloat, um, but also uh, his, he, he wants to do something really, you know, he wants to do something to make a legacy for his name and he thinks this will do it, right? Rascals is the tools that you use to bring that person over. So that's gonna be reciprocation, which is um, you, uh, you're trying to convert them um, by doing stuff similar to them. You, give, you ask for them for something, they give you something back and vice versa. Um, authority. You present them that you have the authority um, to make their life better. Scarcity is going to be you're giving them something that they can't get anywhere else, right? So that's how you're leveraging someone. You're giving them that. Commitment and consistency is the C. Um, people don't like turning traitor for people that they don't believe they can trust. And commitment and consistency, even in really small ways, is the number one way to do it. And then... Uh, liking just having them like you doing things that make them like you and be similar and last but not least social proof 
Uh, if you can show that other people have turned traitor or done bad things for this person, they'll do it too. So sorry, this is my CIA digression on how to make <laughs> reasonable motivations for NPCs to do horrible things. But it's really fun, and I can post an article in the chat, um, actually cribbed directly from a CIA manual in the 60s, on how to turn people double agents. And it's a really good source for building NPCs um, and get, building their motivations. Yeah, and that reminds me, too, of, of a sort of quick NPC basic uh, with this kind of deciding a couple things when you make an NPC or if you're having to throw one in a scene that maybe you weren't as prepared for, which would be, you know, deciding is the NPC going to be part of the party's kind of plan or, like, you know, friendly or helping along any parts of the conversation or whatever they're trying to do, or maybe not... <laughs> being that, you know, being an enemy, being like, you know, just for the sake of conversation, a typical booster gang uh, member or something that they run into in the street of the combat zone or whatever. But the other side to that, too, is also deciding if they're going to be friends with the party, if they're not going to be friends with the party, you know, if it's a positive, negative sort of interaction, uh, if it's going to remain that. Uh, because in Cyberpunk, especially Night City, where it's like, everything's kind of up and coming and everyone's, you know, quote unquote, elbowing for a, a spot in the city or whatever. Um, I forget how the book exactly puts it, but um, I think that that's important to make the NPCs just as kind of, I don't know, corrupt or the ability to, to I guess the word is change because it can also be like, even if it's the, the gang member that's front and flexing on them, trying to rob them or be a wrench in the works that then they flex back or intimidate or convince or pay or, you know, get a really good persuasion conversation role and talk them out of whatever. Um, they're able to kind of turn them a bit, make them rethink some things just in the same way that a, a friendly NBC part of the party or plot kind of pushing along uh, the party's plans can also at one point double cross them or change or decide, well, shit, you know, like I'm helping this along, but actually at the end, if I, uh, take this shit for myself, I can make all the money. And maybe you have the NPC kind of flipping that way. And I think it's important to kind of think of those big, you know, 180 kind of changes, um, you know, just completely uh, turning around in the personality type, uh, like I said, when it comes to cyberpunk and Night City. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, do you when you make your uh, uh, NPCs? Do you also base some uh, some of your basic thoughts when you're when you're kind of fleshing them out or getting the at least the, the initial skeletal structure of an NPC? Like for me, it's based on like first their job, you know how they sit in the world, then how they're influenced to the ongoing plot, if at all. Um, then I give them like a characteristic, whether you know a, a physical trait, an accent, or something weird to them, a personality quirk, right? But the other side to it is um, district-based, uh, district where I kind of have my typical thought, and I know, like, characters can be extremely dynamic no matter where they live and motivated by any number of things. But sometimes, uh, and it, it, especially if it's, like, a quick sort of thing, I'll have my basic, all right, cool, if, if they're near the hot zone, more scaver style scavenger lifestyle uh people and the more desperate the more willing to live near what might be given off radiation or uh is a lot of in reconstruction um just like combat zone no matter whether you know japantown china 
uh, South Night City, the old combat zone, there's just this overall vibe of NPCs in combat zone versus any other zone. Regardless of the dynamics within them or whatever, um, I guess my main point is how the, how the districts influence the NPCs. How, how do you think about it uh, when you think of districts and NPCs? So when I'm using districts, um, one of the things that I, I really want to do is, is I'm actually thinking about it the other direction. I'm thinking about how can I use the NPC to make this district feel unique and cool rather than the influ and so that comes kind of from you know what is iconic about this district right but i think if you use the same npc everywhere else it doesn't make the uh the districts feel unique and different so if you use the opportunity to say hey um this person is part of the world and the reason why this district is this way is because it's full of people like this right um and so you're gonna have you know like uh like uh, I think an example is combat zones, right? So some combat zones are the, the grittiest, nastiest places in the world, and some of them are, like, you know, really neutral. Uh, not necessarily neutral, but they're they're dangerous and really bad, but they're not as intensely bad, right? And, you, and depending on your how you're running your game, uh, you might say, like, you know, Little China is less insane than South Night City, right? Um, and so how do you communicate that um, by showing and not telling? You know, if you just tell the players, like, well, South Night City is worse than Little China, you can talk about how right. Little China has, you know, like, you can say that, right? But that doesn't, that's not good storytelling. Um, so, but you can use the, how you build NPCs to do that storytelling for the universe. So, for example, in uh, a new character, not Bob will know who this, um, who this uh, run is related to, uh, I have a new Bozo character named Babyface. Um, Babyface is the leader of a subset of bozos uh, who has surgically made his face to be very tiny in the center of his face to look like a baby. Um, he's completely insane. Uh, but the type of person who surgically makes their face look like the size of a baby while running around in clown shoes um, is not the type of person that you think is remotely reasonable to deal with, right? You don't get the idea uh, that somebody named Babyface is going to be a person um, who can... Uh, who you can, you know, negotiate with or deal with. Uh, it's a kill-or-be-killed type scenario because he's a complete psycho. Um, in Counterpoint, in Little China, if I describe to say that this block is owned by a famous triad guy who's renowned for his brutality but also efficiency, right, that's a type of guy that you can work with. Now, he's scary, he does horrible things, but it's a different ambiance when I'm describing, you know, um, whatever Jin Wu, the former you know uh security contractor who uh whatever uh committed some major crime and now runs security for the triads here um and he's renowned for being brutal but fair so like you can build those people up and each one of those people gives the uh, gives that ambiance to your yeah. zone at, to each district um but you take the cues of how you build, how you want that district to be presented and project them onto the character, and then the character will make the district feel that way. So that uh, that's no, a very long example, but yeah. You no, know exactly, and I think, like, the basic backbone of that is, like, you know, just for, like, Cliff's Notes version is, like, the difference between, like, booster gangs in South Night City versus, like, Yakuza and actual crime families in China or Japantown vibe where it just seems like, yeah, it's still 
combat zone, but it seems like you might be able to work with them a little more, whereas these guys over here are a little more unpredictable and crazy. They're more street-level thug style, and these are a little more thought process. They're also running some businesses and some off-the-books things, and, like, they're a little more tactful. And the other side, too, that I like to drop in is, like, in old Japantown and different parts of combat zone that involve, you know, the nicer of the combat zones is, like, slightly nicer restaurants or, like, there's a park attached to a restaurant in one of my current uh, uh, Team Veritas games where, like, they have security that they don't let in, you know, people wearing gang colors or miscreants and things. Like, you have to be dressed nice to at least get in there and, you know, walk through the park on date night, that sort of vibe, you know? So there's... I like to make parts of, uh, I don't know, the, the nicer, the lesser of the evils of combat zones, like, have... N nice parts or moments in them like people struggling to find positive change in the shitty district that they're stuck in at the moment you know what i mean absolutely also uh this shout out to the babyface thing actually uh, a couple years ago my second episode of mulligan's monsters you can watch on trauma uh trauma entertainment if anyone's familiar they did like toxic avenger um poultry guys shit like that uh, i've got a monster series um, I direct, produce, and put out on their streaming platform, Trauma Now. And my second episode of Mulligan's Monsters is actually Babyface, where it's that same thing. It's a big, my buddy Bill played it big, and he's got like this diaper and thing, and he's killing people with a rattle. And the whole time we had overdubbed like baby sounds of like, ha hey, hey, like giggling and laughing while he's doing it. Like, it's fucked up. It was, it's funny. But I, that, that is absolutely terrifying. So that's awesome. Great minds think alike with scary... Uh, uh, clowny style baby face killers right so uh you actually opened uh, i think a good section um when we're talking about npc types right um so something people might not know about is like the difference between syndicates and gangs and so you talked a little bit about like you know how would the triads act they want like a little more security versus like booster gangers um i think that's a really interesting subsection in terms of uh or discussion in terms of like if you're gonna think about motivations right um so syndicates are just are businesses who want to run outside of the law whereas booster gangs are more like feudal clubs who run on violence um now syndicates will make gangs work for them um in the exact same way that you know medieval kingdoms found freelance men-at-arms who were who would be bandits otherwise to go do their dirty work um but a syndicate NPC is going to be somebody much more focused on profit and bottom line in the same way of businesses. So when you're thinking about your motivations for these syndicate characters, they could actually be really in line with, like, the police because they want order, they want discipline, they want utilities to work because their business is based off of those things. But they also want parts of the business, uh, parts of the law that inhibit their business to fail, right? They want bad border security. They don't want cops messing them up. They want the uh, courts to be non-functional, um, all while still having the stability. So if you're making uh, making a character who is a syndicate character, uh, in in all likelihood, if they're in charge, it's because they're smart. And they would be a person who could be a corpo in any other lifetime, but they're not. Uh, and that's actually how I really like to run my syndicates, is a bunch of guys who would be corpos if they were on the other side of the mountain, uh, mixed in with a bunch of sickos who they use to do the dirty work to make okay. sure that the syndicate still runs uh, and so the i think that's a fundamental difference in a mentality when making a syndicate character who as of yet aren't really you know the syndicates aren't really flushed out in um, the cyberpunk red universe hopefully we'll get some of that um, 
but I really like that echelon of crime um, above the booster ganger, um, where where you have you know truly organized crime in a sophisticated sense. Oh yeah, we have a bunch of chat here. Sorry, yeah. I'm just gonna read that really quick. I think that's a great way to put it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's funny uh, to think you know when you said. Uh, uh, Crime families are pretty much like, you know, execs or corporations that want to live outside the law. But when I think of Night City and most of cyberpunk, it's like, Jesus, I don't think I think almost all the corporations have some point outside of the law, something that they're pulling off, some type of shady stuff. There's rarely a straight corporation. But I know what you mean. Absolutely. Like this, you know, syndicates are, are, you know, completely trying to just run off of, you know. But, um... Well, and so um, one thing that uh, Bronx Smash mentioned is says I don't know I don't see why they couldn't be a corpo while running a syndicate. So in terms well, of like are. a character, yeah, in terms of like a character archetype of running a uh, like having you know in the universe, I think absolutely you could have a corpo that was part of a syndicate. I think all of their traits match up. Almost um, all I of actually... my syndicate boss crime boss leader guys like have some type of like import export business or something like where, where they can wash their fucking books and like you know like do what they got to do uh uh but yeah no i think uh brock smash absolutely uh, agree with you 100 uh, percent but, but what were you saying oh it's just and jenny has a uh, great point which is syndicates and corporations have a long history of working together and being incestuous to a remarkable degree um there's nothing more. There's nothing better than a legitimate business to launder illicit funds through, um, to make sure that you have all of the money going into the right places, um, to hide, uh, you know, purchasing things that you probably shouldn't have as a criminal, like all that type of stuff. So, uh, it's a, it's generally, I think, a good idea. Um, here, this is a, outside of our topics, but I just want to say, when you're making a corpo as a player don't feel constrained to just have a corporation. One of my very favorite um, characters that I made was Lean Charles. Lean Charles was a corpor, corpo, um, but he was a corpo fixer for a uh, for the dock workers union. Um, and so he was the one that the dock workers union would send around to go uh, protect union interests uh, and was a very fun character to play. Nice. Yeah, and uh, PW, uh, PW Bind, I like saying that, but uh, PWBNDE. Uh, can you recap what notes you jot down uh, when establishing a reoccurring NPC? And yeah, and, and to pull it back uh, to some of the NPC talk, I think um, what, we're, what we were talking about when it gets into you know, the booster gang versus crime syndicate and the levels are the ways that you spice up how that NPC might sit within a... A, a crime zone or whatever and kind of to give it levels of crime zone you know um, like the difference between South Night City and like Chinatown or Japan uh, old Japan town or whatever um, but as far as notes uh, overall with NPCs and I want to get into stats and stuff like that in a moment you know we'll get into that in a moment um, but aside from having my, my general stats and numbers that I need to use during interactions I start off with uh, some of the basics uh, like I was mentioning before you know the name the typical, like, what do they do to make money? Uh, what are their general motivations? And I'll just make quick little notes, like if it's like family stuff or crime stuff or like whatever they do. 
Um, and then obviously little personality things like if it's something that stands out, whether hair or what they wear or an accent or something, I'll make that note. That way those little things that might stand out to the players that I mentioned when I'm describing or giving them flavor to the players, um, I'm consistent with it. I try to remember those little things and do it if they go back to them. Uh, but other than that, the, the notes are, are constantly evolving. You know, I, I, I run off of outlines at this point. Um, just because of how player agency just throws me so many curveballs. I'll have like general plots and main things and twists and everything in place. Um, but it's just outline form. So as we go and the players uh, develop the story with me and kind of what's happening with the NPCs around them, I'm adding little notes to NPCs like, okay, well, they shot off that guy's hand or they pissed off this person by doing this or this person owes them a favor because they were so awesome doing this with them. And I'll just make these quick little notes next to them that kind of evolve as as it goes. Um, And that kind of also draws in, uh, like we were saying at the beginning, what Lobster Falcon was talking about with the different tier levels of NPCs, like if they're just kind of a set dressing or something that's uh, plot inclusive or something that's involved in the story or if it's like a, a super important uh, you know, catalyst to what's going on. Um, some of that stuff will develop as it goes based on those notes, based on how the players interact and what happens with the NPC. Yeah. the uh, Something Rob just mentioned that I want to make sure the listeners are really, really get is that the best part about an NPC is the conflict they have. Because if a character doesn't have conflict, then they're not a character and they're, they're not participating in a story, right? They're just a tool for you to use. Um, and so I actually have separate categories of characters where if there's somebody that you just go to to like buy stuff from and you give them a little personality, that's just a tool. They're not a character. They're not valuable. It's conflict that they have in the universe that the players can help with or that the players participate in that makes them part of a story. So when you're fleshing out a reoccurring NPC, um, the thing to really think about is what conflict do- exists in their life and then is the uh, do they need the players to help them resolve it? if they're a friend yes if they're a bad guy what conflict exists and how are the players going to stop them from resolving that conflict uh, and that's what's going to make it uh that's what's going to make it interesting oh, yeah. now, speaking of uh, npcs to kind of give it uh, a little bit of sort of development to the npc like obviously you know getting into motivations uh, i love the conflict aspect you know all that sort of human trait backbone stuff needs to be the foundation of an NPC. And you don't have to get so elaborate to make it, you know, a full fleshed out player, right? But you should at least grab some type of motivation or conflict or issue or something to make them more human than just like, I love how you put it, just being a tool, you know? And, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the world needs to be full of that. Uh, maybe not so much in real life. I don't want to be mean here, but in game, you know, like there's definitely going to be uh, NPCs that are treated like tools and they're, they're going to be there just to kind of fill all this space. You know, like when, when players enter a bar, not every single person in this packed house is going to have, you know, a list on your sheet of motivations and things and like, oh my God, that, that would be impossible. So you might just kind of fill them with general bunch of people dancing and this, and you might categorize them as like some college students, some gangers, some, you know, corpos over here doing this and this, and you might generalize. And then you might in your notes have some of those motivations, conflict and things within that general group or or type or archetype of uh, NPC. So if the players do engage in those, then you have something to to lean on real quick and then kind of flesh it out as you go. Um, but some of them are, are going to just start off as just tools uh, because you have to fill the space. 
Um, but I think that's a great, uh, I don't know, sort of designation between the, those tiers or levels of NPCs. I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, so one of the things that um, kind of Bob and Jenny are mentioning um, is like, uh, so he's talking, not Bob in the chat, is talking about Sergei the Sandwich Vendor from the old country who will never speak in enough detail for you to figure it out. He got shot in a firefight and made sure to tell the NPCs, PCs afterward who saved his life, still no free sandwich. That's great characterization for a character who doesn't need to add anything else, but it makes the world feel a lot more deep. Oh, yeah. However, um, when you have a character like that, um, and this is more less NPCs and more of like a GM toolkit, um, there's going to be times when a player goes and says, okay, well, why? And now you as a GM are going to have to think of a motivation for a character on the spot. Um, in that moment, um, the having read lots of stories and having lots of archetypes and tropes to pull from is going to be super important because there's lots of you know general general conflict tropes that you can pull from uh, and then craft them to fit your story contextually really appropriate um, so for example uh, the uh, you know Sergey will never give you a free sandwich all right well why well uh, because it's about respect or something like that and um, he's a businessman you and, see yeah he's yeah he's he's a businessman why is he a businessman you're making this all up on the spot um well you see uh the reason he won't give you a free sandwich is um because the one time that he gave away uh free stuff um he got shot in the head why did he get shot in the head and you can start filling out these these story things that make it really important by just ad-libbing with yourself um No, and I think uh, oh. the comedy aspect is, is very important. If anyone's seen any of my game streams, uh, Team Ghost, Team Veritas, uh, my Sirenscape ongoing, any of my one-shots that I'm doing, I always have a sense of humor, a twist, because I think real life is like that. Even in the most stressful of moments, you know, you might just out of humor laugh or something funny or, or pull that out of it or have that dark sense of humor. I think that's really important in cyberpunk. Um, you know, not to be completely goofy and ridiculous at times, but um, to have a dark sense of humor, to be able to pull some of that in or that little personality cork. Um, I do it all the time with uh, NPCs and little situations, um, and it helps balance too. So it's not just constant darkness and figuring things out and moral dilemmas and backstabbings and like all this conspiracy stuff that is very cyberpunk and very Night City. Um, it, it, I don't know, it makes it more real life and it helps balance that shit. Uh, it's very important. So that's a great point that uh, Bob brought up. Um, I absolutely agree with that and do that as well. And then um, it, uh, it was not Bob, I think, uh, said his favorite GM tools is putting it on, uh, the NPCs on the players. I love that too. I do that um, sometimes with players. Uh, like if uh, the same way I'll do kill shots, like, you know, oh, that last shot, like when I calculate the HP, right? And I'll be like, oh, why don't you describe how you just took that uh, person's life or whatever and let them kind of elaborate, like, how epic it was or whatever they might want to do, right? I'll do the same thing with some NPCs, like, if the fixer's calling on one of their contacts that they have listed on their new role, they have this uh, political hookup, this local person hookup, this, that, um, or someone wants to call their family members, sometimes I'll, I'll, put it on the player a little and let them have you know fun with it lots of times it's fun to a player when you're like oh why don't you tell me about that person you know what do they look like uh what, what's their personality like are they friendly or we know what they sound like and hopefully they don't say something too crazy that then you got to pull off but um but i do that I, I do that you know i'll describe some of them but i'll allow the players to have fun with that too um, do you do that 
Yeah, um, and I actually took it from um, this game called Spire, which is a is a pretty cool game in a non cyberpunk setting. Um, but uh, they actually have core mechanics in the game where you dictate things to the GM, and it's it's very fascinating in that you can. Uh, so they're like, all right, well, I walk into a bar. Uh, or, you know, like, I want to find something out and use the GM. We're like, okay, cool. Uh, you found a bar. Tell me about it. Like, which, you know, you tell me. What did you find? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, you actually know the guy who runs it. He's a scary mob boss. What's he like? Um, boom. Now you're putting it, one, it does two things, which I think are really important. One, you don't have to think of anything as the GM. You can just rip <laughs> with it, which is great because you think of too much shit. Secondly, um you're making a character that you know immediately that the player wants to engage in. Absolutely. And that to me is even more important because now the player is giving you, here's a hook I want to play with. This is a character that I now care about. I'm invested in in a little bit. So let's do this. Like now we can, now we can improv together when we already have common ground. I'm not presenting something for you that you're forced to figure out. You're now giving me a tool to play with that, that works well with you. And I love that. Um, yeah. There's one more thing. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go for it. If um, you're still on a thought, go for it. Uh, I'm transitioning to a different thought. So if you have any comments. Uh, no, I was going to go uh, kind of into the Manicore alias in chat talking about an NPC uh, being super friendly. Like, oh, why are they being so nice? And I was kind of going to uh, push into different personality types and having fun with uh, NPCs. Um, like, because we kind of talked about motivations and conflicts and like, um, the foundation of them coming into gameplay and establishing them. Now I just wanted to get into some just fun quirks and ideas and personalities to play with with them uh, before we start talking about stats and things to creating them. But if you had a, a different thought before that, uh, go for it. So um, one of the things that uh, Jenny Glitz brought up uh, is you can also have just have an NPC not answer the players sometimes. I mean, do you explain your whole life to someone on the street? Right. Um, another person in the chat, Infernal Suspenders, has run possibly the most annoying character of my entire life in a Pathfinder game that we played. <laughs> um, and that's uh, a great that's a great introduction. Uh, this guy right here, uh, I can't stand the. the no, the... she ran literally the most annoying character, and I'm talking about the shit ass at the hunting lodge. So this character, uh, I was playing a very dumb paladin. Um, who just ran in and did things and all he did was basically tell me in various different ways to fuck off um, <laughs> regardless of what questions I asked there and it was it was phenomenal like um, because it's a perfectly real way that a person would respond to somebody barging in and demanding things the story doesn't capitulate to you oh, yeah and especially in cyberpunk where um, like your utmost goal is to not die in the worst gutter like, the universe isn't just going to hand you things if you right. barge in and ask things. It's just going to be like, how about this? Fuck yourself. Like, and that's a that's a good thing. Uh, now, I had a team a, doing that in uh, my Sirenscape campaign, and they were questioning people in the jail cell. And, of course, like, some were going to try to talk to them and be desperate and in a desperate situation, maybe, and look at them as, as an out or something. But, obviously, the dude eating that she's, like, harassing and as the back turns to him, she's like, you know, fuck off, you know, and keeps eating and just no help, you know? Um, and then I've got, like, their boss, Nash, who's constantly calling, like, what's the update? All right, well, just make sure you go do this and that. And then the second he's like, all right, but I'm, all right, bye, he hangs up. I always end it like, all right, he hangs up while they're trying to respond to it. So he just instantly has that sort of personality, you know, where he just, he's to the business, to the point, and then he's going to hang up. You're never going to get, he's always got last word, you know? Yep. The, 
Yeah, I, I, I think again, it really does come down to motivations, right? Um, Big time. You don't want your NPCs to just be like an info dump, right? If they were just an info dump, you should have the character rule library search and give them an info dump, uh, right? And that's um, also the to me the hardest part. Like I've played some other games like with other GMs and stuff, and sometimes like they won't allow the players to kind of uncover parts of the story and, and, and develop it as it goes. They're just like, you meet this guy. Okay, holy shit. Bah, 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 bah. This corporation's doing this with this person and that is over here because of this and that. And like, you're just like, you're overwhelmed. It's not fun for the player because like they're, you, you lose it. Like I've played in games like that where I'm just like, okay, I have no idea what's going on now. Um, it's too much of an info dump. It needs to kind of slow down a little. It needs to develop like real world um, like you said, you're not just going to meet somebody and, and they're just going to be like, oh, let me tell you my life story and everything going on around you and be absolutely completely an open book and helpful to everything you need. And like, nah, it's not going to... Unless it's a girl on MDA, MDMA in the <laughs> bathroom. And like, yeah, she might explain her entire <laughs> life to you, but that's okay. Like, That's a different game. That's a... <laughs> the, um, so, yeah, in, in terms of info dumping, I think an important thing... Um, and this happens with new writers a lot. And, and I think there's a lot of overlap between being a really good writer and being a really good GM. Um, I think the part where you become, uh, where some writers go too far is they want to prescribe the story to the players. Um, but I think where great writers do a really good job is understanding the show don't tell. Um, and that's a really important part about GMing. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, laughing at Jenny's comment. Yeah, um, she said you you laugh, but I've done that twice. I thought that was funny too. The uh, and so when we're talking about show don't tell, uh, a lot of like newer GMs um, will go on like long info dumps about like who this person is and what they've done and what all their motivations are and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but the but a, a good GM uh, or at least a more sophisticated GM will understand that characters have motivations. Um, and they're not always showing all of them on their sleeve right now. But what they do is they will do actions that will lead the players to understand what their motivations are, right? Um, and so you can, when you're when you're crafting these interactions with, with characters, don't just tell them what they want. Show the characters what they want. If somebody wants power, don't sit there and be like, I'm the gang leader and I want power. Like... Be, show them that the gang leader is ruthless with protecting their power, right? Somebody challenges them, and not only do they uh, slap them in the face, but they shoot them and drag them out back, right? And you're just like, oh, he didn't announce I'm ruthless. He just did the thing that shows you very explicitly that he's ruthless and will protect his power, exactly. right? So, like, think I, about opportunities where you can talk with actions and not with words. I think that's very important, you know, show, don't tell. And I think that that's very important. I've done something with that with the, this badass fixer. When he found out he was getting double-crossed by one of his own guys, his right-hand man, and in front of the players, he just, like, pop, shoots him right in the head, killing him, and just goes on with conversation. Like, you know, just puts that sort of dark, like, cold vibe into that character. Like, he'll kill part of his own crew if he thinks they're double-crossing him and fucking him over, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I love the simplicity of, of just saying, you know, show, don't tell. What a great tip for making NPCs, um, you know, when you're fleshing out their motivations, the conflict, the way that they might interact with players or the story plot or whatever. Um, always try to show, not tell when it comes to a lot of the ways that they're going to interact, because otherwise you got, you're walking that, that, that fine line between like um, allowing the players to kind of extract information at, at, a, at an immersive kind of normal 
feeling real world vibe or whatever or, or rate uh, versus being like a, a straight up info dump, you know? So I think that that's important. Show, don't tell. That can help help a lot with that. Um, yeah, what was that? Oh, I was just going to say uh, something that Infernal Suspenders mentioned in the chat that I think is really important when creating compelling NPC stories is uh, you have, you know, NPC A's motivations, you have NPC B's motivations, but an important tool to make really interesting interactions is the inner, the relationship between A and B. And when they have a conflict between them, the player agency to interact with that relationship can make for really great stories. So not only do you want to keep track of, you know, one bullet point of how the, the, the conflict that each NPC is having with the, the player, but how they're relating to one another because that's how you do really cool social interactions and that's how you make power plays. Now we're not talking about power in Night City just yet, that's slated for next time, but um, <laughs> the understanding the understanding about how, um, how two groups relate to one another is a really important way to create stories where characters and players feel really empowered to do interesting stuff. Because uh, if it's always just confronting the NPC head-on or confronting the problem head-on, smart players get bored really fast, right? But if you have really smart players and you say, hey, um, you know, Bob hates Jim, but Jim uh, can get him, you know, Jim can get him fired. If he gets fired, his daughter doesn't get health insurance and she dies. Okay, well, now that's a tool you can work with on leverage on both of them, right? Um, you can do interesting stuff with that relationship as a tool. And so NPC... Um, be be ready to understand and create relationships between NPCs because those are going to be tools that your players use to move the story along in ways that you couldn't have predicted. Um, and I think they're some of the best ways to make players feel really, really smart. And to me, a super successful game is when players feel really challenged, they feel like they almost died, and then they feel like they were really, really smart in solving the problem. And if I can do it without thinking really hard, all the better. Like, oh, yeah. No, and great uh, point, Jenny Glitz, too, uh, you know, as far as adding motivations and all the things we've been already kind of dissecting as making NPC. Uh, she says every character has a hook, something you can use to manipulate them. Um, I think that's pretty clever, too, you know, just in case it comes up, you know, it's nice to put that in, like you said, greed or... Yeah, I mean, it's it to me, it's like giving just little seeds that the players might not ever put water on, you know what I mean? Like... But it's at least there. You'll have your little outline with your NPC, and you've got these little, little. maybe even to you, it's just like one word on the sheet that means something to you that you don't even have to sit there and elaborate on and really write all out. But it's there just in case the players try to do something to where it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, this player has a lot of pride issues, or you know, they have a love interest they just can't get over, or they're, they're, they're in the middle of a mental breakdown because of this, or they're just really focused on work right now, or... You know, they're just pissed off all the time because they've got this addiction problem or something. And, like, you know, like any type of thing you can do to bring that NPC to life, I love it. But a hook, great way great way to uh, put it. Uh, when it all right. What was that? Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say I was going to kind of pull it over to, like, interesting uh, ideas. You know, before we get into stats stuff and how we kind of build it out or what we use, um, I was going to kind of talk about just some personality quirks uh even some physical traits just little things that you typically do with npcs or maybe you don't i don't know i do um a lot of gms do but it's you know that sort of thing where yeah you give them the motivations the conflict the 
the hooks, the all, all these details and, and things that make it human. And then on top, it's that sort of extra flavor you sprinkle on top, like I mentioned before, right? Like a character has, you know, spike bleach white hair and he just wears all white or something, you know? Or this character is, is missing half of his face or... Um, sometimes an age thing can tell a lot too. Like if I have a, a much older uh, person in a sort of uh, grittier environment or something, a night city, it might speak volumes on like them being real skilled or what have, what have they done to be in this gritty environment and actually lived to make it to being a senior citizen. Because anyone that typically fucks with this sort of stuff, you know, they live fast and die young, sort of thing. So there's little things like that that you can do, whether age or clothing or style or like I said an accent or like uh, maybe lack of conversation and things with it but uh, but what are some fun things that you like to sprinkle on for flavor when it comes to NPCs and chat I would love to hear your fun little NPC things that you've done before uh, like Manicore saying NPC that wears clothes that don't match their role I like that too so um uh, there's two GMs that I've played with in, in the chat right now, uh, Infernal Suspenders and Not Bob, and both of them are really phenomenal at voices. They do really, really great character voices nice. um, that really identify with the characters. If you're comfortable doing character voices and, you, and you're pretty good at it, I think it adds a lot to a character. I, however, am horrible at character voices. So I've had to come up with other tools um, on how I differentiate characters to the NPCs. Um, a lot of the time, that's going to be word choice. Right, so I'll try and while I won't necessarily use a voice, I will speak in a different way. Like you can talk super corpo to one, you can talk kind of street in the other, and it's not necessarily there, um, not necessarily like doing a cool voice, uh, but just changing the way that they talk about things. Um, you know, being you know trying to be you know gangster versus being super uptight and prim. Um, the other thing that uh, you've I think you've mentioned is kind of describing how people dress. Uh, but not only how people dress, but how they act within that dress, right? Uh, is like, you know, uh, for example, just describing somebody who fiddles with their cufflinks. Like, that that gives you, like, an idea of, like, all right, well, they're, that gives you, like, a silhouette of a person already. It's a guy who's wearing a cufflink, right? So you can kind of see the rest of their outfit already. He's a little bit nervous. Yeah, so he's, you know, pacing, and he's kind of fiddling with his cufflinks. And you see the reflection on his... Um, his you know the wire wear on his face and he keeps muting his comlink over and over again like all right who is this guy he's like nervous and pacing and he's got some money and um you can kind of you can kind of use i think those ticks um to describe the character in a way that feels a little uh less info dumpy uh it's a little bit of the show show not tell right it's not like a man wearing a white suit with cufflinks but oh he's pacing uh, and fiddling with his cufflinks and he keeps trying to rub the stain out of his uh right elbow of his white suit right like yeah it's, it's not having some... him say you know i'm really yeah. nervous about the situation i really don't want to talk about it i don't know if i'm in danger or whatever instead of saying all that info dump you walk in and you, you see some some beaded sweat on his brow he's tapping his foot kind of fast fiddling with his cufflink so it's like it adds that nervous sort of vibe the cufflink instantly you know he's dressed nice or at least if not syndicate exec, maybe, I don't know. You can instantly start kind of painting a picture, but uh, I, I totally agree. And it, it absolutely falls on that show, uh, not tell category. All right. So we're getting some, get some tips from the pros 
uh, on how to do cool voices for NPCs in the chat here. So I just want to take a second to yeah, yeah, let's to it. talk about that. Um, so one of the things not Bob saying is funny voice is like 30% of making a memorable character. Right. Um, and then goes into uh, Infernal Suspender says the tricks to voices that are really making unique are things like speed of vocalizations, what they inflect on, and how emotions color that. That and giving them a horrific laugh. Um, <laughs> so the I think I think that's all great advice. Um, I definitely need to like sit and practice voices before I'm comfortable with it. Um, and even then, I'm most of the time I'm not, but I'll try and like do some kind of influence there. Um, oh, oh, I absolutely another... do voices and accents and you know gritty, higher pitch, lower pitch, a little bit faster and skittish and sketchy and a little bit slower and yeah. contrived and like um, I, I I try to do all of that, but um, I don't consider myself by far like, you know, an expert. I've done some voice acting stuff with the filmmaking things that I've done and, and different things in the past. But um, but I, I'm like you when it comes to that, um, I, I, I practice a little bit before. So any GM out, out there, you know, don't feel bad, you know, when you're making your notes and you're giving those personalities. If he's going to be kind of gritty or, you know, sketched out talking fast or slow or have an accent uh, before you have your session with your players, um, just kind of go over it, you know, speak out loud practice some things that that NPC might say and it'll help you get a little more comfortable into it um, and if you give them like a catchphrase or something that falls in line with that accent or that style of speech whether it's slow or fast or gritty or whatever you can kind of give it like a catchphrase or something to lean on that can start it it helps you kind of get in the flow of, of giving that character a voice but I agree it's like with what Not Bob said about it being about 30% um I think it's, it counts for about 50% or more with like being memorable, but not as far as the importance to it. Like Sometimes it can be much easier to stick out uh, in a crowd, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, don't be scared to, to play and practice and try to uh, give them some voices. But, so, unrelated to voices, but just a quick comment here. Um, Infernal Suspenders mentions, it's always fun to give an NPC something they're unreasonable about, something they won't react logically to, whether that's a threat, high emotions... That things she's prejudiced about it's not fun when everything works in a utilitarian sense and i think that's super important to make people human right they're not they're not a predictable box where you can input one thing and get the output at the same time they might be a person that if you threaten them for any reason they'll lose their mind even if it means losing everything right because that's the type of person they are it, they might be a person who folds for no reason literally under any pressure at all even if it wouldn't affect them because that's the person they are. It might be a person that they stand the Boston Red Sox so hard that if you <laughs> possibly impugn anything about the city of Boston, they will sacrifice everything. Um, so, like, think about that uh, as, like, what is a trait that a person uh, is just completely unreasonable about? And you can make that a core part of their being because people will remember that. People don't remember, like, oh, yes, that person was absolutely completely reasonable and normal. Yeah, they were very but quiet they do and down-to-earth and very calm and boring. And, and were great to deal with, yeah. Like, they were, <laughs> they were like an accountant in every single reaction. Uh, but if you're like, yeah, that, that guy can, was nuts. And, it, and I was going to say, and it kind of plays into uh, the idea of what, uh, I think it was Jenny that mentioned the hook earlier. You know, it can also kind of play into something that a smart player uh, will use and be able to manipulate if they have something unreasonable or something kind of crazy uh, with the way they react or they do something or something within that personality it can quickly become a hook with a smart player um, and that can be a lot of fun yeah 
the um something i wanted to digress to uh really quick is is villains bad guys um so i think bad guys are a super important part you know they're they're a source of conflict so they're a super important part of um cyberpunk red and and really any storytelling any ttrpg um but there's a there's a couple of different uh, what i call tiers or classes of bad guys in the exact same way that if the good guys right there's like tools and protagonists and set pieces um when you're thinking about bad guys um i think a, a big problem that people do is they mistake um what i call villains for monsters right so the first level of bad guys mooks mooks are people who don't really have any storyline they exist for you to to kick in the teeth and shoot in the head um you explore their motivations almost never right they're just they're just obstacles for you to run over and stat blocks a monster is something that doesn't have relatable motivations that is a source of conflict right so a monster could be a uh, it could be a significant threat like a giant robot right they're just doing their job that's not you know that's not a thing it could be a um a bozo bozos are you know most of the time unrelatable they're just horrific monsters that need to be stopped but a villain a villain is somebody who has a motivation that if the player understood enough of they could at least understand the position that they're coming from um and so when you're thinking about making villains if you want to make a, a villain that's memorable um that villain needs to have motivations that the players at some point uncover that makes them say ah he's kind of got a good point right like we still have to do things to stop him but like i guess i could see if i was in his shoes um then then i really you know th that i could be i could have been that guy and i think that's what makes for really really great and compelling villains um there's also villains who are super sophisticated, who you might not be able to relate to, but you could understand why they're doing their thing, even if you could never do their thing, right? Um, yeah, oh, they, definitely, we they definitely come across like more, you know, whereas like that Mooka level has that more hired gun feel, whereas the, the higher villain is more calculated in the approach. It's not just a sort of face value. I'm here to do a job. Let me shoot somebody, <laughs> you know, or whatever yeah. the, the mook sort of vibe is going to be. And I think like in Infernal Suspender says the mook should be the most ridiculous flavor wise. This is a person who's going to die and is someone who got themselves into that situation. So it, I, I agree. I think so. Like there's good opportunity there for just like because what kind of person? I mean, you're, you're desperate. You're in Night City. It's cyberpunk. Yeah, but you're, you're just a hired thug gun for some crazy crime family like they're you're in there you're 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 crazy or you're that booster ganger like obviously like you said you're that stat block sort of stepping stone thing whereas the villain seems a bit more calculated like there could be some you know more of those social skills that might come into play versus just melee and handgun and shoulder arms you know what i mean yeah. like if you might be able to negotiate persuade there might be something more to it there might be they have a, a bit more conflict and maybe moral dilemma to that situation where you're like ah fuck okay yeah he's a villain but i kind of understand why now i got my moral dilemma as a player like how am i going to react to this okay i get it i get it but it's wrong and my job is to do this but when i look deeper it's driven by this which doesn't necessarily align with the job you know so there, there's a bit more depth to it so i think that's a good point to make you know the difference between a bad guy a monster you know or a villain yeah, one of the uh, I think one of the examples also of giving mooks more flavor is remember that the vast majority of mooks don't want to die, right? 
if you're trying to create people, it's not like they're going to be undead skeletons charging into their deaths. <laughs> right. At a certain point, um, and I do this. Give up. Yeah, I do this with relative frequency, and depending on how sophisticated they are, is how fast they retreat. Um, but in a run I did a long time ago, um, the edge runners walked up to a sentry and held a gun on them. They're just like, "Yeah, I'm out," and just walked away. Like. They yeah. don't give a shit. I've had that like too, where it was like Jenny said, "Don't forget, gang members aren't the only mooks, or rent a cops can be equally absurd in their own way." And and of that level, that same mook level, where I had team members sneak up and they had a good stealth roll and got up to the security guard in the boot that was just fucking around on his agent, not paying attention, and they just instantly went up. I think it was uh, it was Wandering DM was the players, my team Veritas then, and got up and just put the gun right to the guy's head and was like, "Yeah, you're gonna take your break now." And he's like, "Yeah, I think it's time for me to take my break." <laughs> You know, like instantly, yeah. like I got no dogs in this fight. Like, I'm not going to die for a security job. I'm fucking out. Yeah. Uh, do whatever you're doing. But then he did come back with another security guard down the block. He called for backup, you know, came back. He wants to secure his job, not get fired. But he's not going to do anything crazy when there's a gun to his head at that moment. So, absolutely. I think that's a good Having great been point. a former security guard, uh, if anyone ever pulled a gun on me, I would have just walked away. You can have whatever you want, man. Right. I'm just, a, I'm just a, secure, a, a human security camera at this point. Yeah. So the um well even armed ones you know what i mean like but oh, i agree yeah. on that level on that sort of mook level um there's less fighting to the death they're not like the big syndicate family higher up villainous sort of this is my world my job like i'm going to try to fight till death like or or at what point do they give up i i agree with you it, it when you get down to that lower level that thug mook sort of level nine times out of ten like you know they're they're gonna be killed easy or they're going to give up they're going to give up the information they're going to retreat you know a gun pulled to their head they're like you're right i'm taking my break you know this actually brings up a really important thing about running npcs in combat so uh one of the things i think is really important is you should play npcs tactically as smart as they should be right um and what i mean by that is a lot of people play uh like high stat solos the exact same way that they play uh you know a, a shitty ganger when they would act fundamentally differently right yeah. and so when you're thinking about that you need to understand your um you need to understand one if the gm themselves is not that good at uh cyberpunk combat then obviously it's hard to pull off but if you if you understand the mechanics and how the game is run um you can play at those different levels. Like a mook might stay in cover, right? Because they don't want to get shot. Um, but they might not uh, intentionally create great flanks. Whereas, uh, let's say you have like a max tack hit squad, right? Who's coming in. All right, well, they have very specific tactics they're going to use. They're going to be intentionally destroying cover. They're going to be flanking and they're going to try and get elevation on you. Um, they're going to funnel you into different positions. They're going to be covering lines of sight. Um, and if something goes bad, they're going to do tactical covered retreats, right? People in cover facilitating the retreat of other people behind them. So, like, think about the appropriate level of tactics when you're in combat scenarios that that come into play. Um, and think about who is willing, to, like, who is willing to die and why. Because 99% of people aren't excited to die, right? Cyberpunk has the wonderful luxury of having complete psychos in it that you can throw into the meat grinder, right? Who are, you know, crazed and on super drugs who are trying to run in and do some stuff. But, like, most people are cowards and they want to be the force of numbers and, the, and have authority and power. And when it's suddenly obvious they're losing that, 
they're not excited to sit around and trade bullets and just die one by one, which is like the standard TTRPG combat. So you can just declare that they run away or surrender or throw their weapons on the ground because it's much more common than the alternative, uh, which is fight madly to the death. Um, so just think about that as you're running tabletop games to make it more uh, more compelling and more realistic. But then also, like Bob said, um, having mooks run away makes combats way faster, meaning you can have more set pieces, speeds up the game, and gives flavor. Exactly. Yeah, not everybody's uh, fighting till the death, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, and I like how, uh, I think it was PWB says he like, likes humanizing the mooks to give some moral questions uh, in the player's head. And I, I absolutely agree. It puts a little bit of moral dilemma, you know, when, like, the guy you're fighting, you know, is just trying to make the side cash to feed his kids or whatever the issue might be that you find out or something. I had a team in the past, like, get on, get a lucky crit and blow off a security guy's hand um, that was really just working that job to put himself through college, you know. Um, so it was kind of a uh, shit situation afterwards. But then it allows that NPC to maybe become some type of nemesis in the future that comes back with, like, a cyber-chromed hand, like, you know, you you know, fucked up my job and my education career, so I was left with nothing in Night City but to lean on crime, and now vengeance is mine. <laughs> that sort of, you know, arch-villain sort of character. But, yeah, absolutely. You give him personality, and you never know what it can turn into uh, based on true player agency. Um, yeah. No, I think... I think... I think that's a really good point, too. It's... Build, building compelling stories around even the mookiest characters, even around the flukes, um, and just recognizing when you have the opportunities to add, um, add just like flesh and backstory to a character when something like that happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, the the other little things that you sprinkle on is flavor. I mentioned earlier. Um, are there any other last-minute things? Like, we, we kind of got into voices and dove down that rabbit hole and then kind of got back into moral dilemmas and things. But other than, like, some crazy crazy clothing or the hair, what are some other uh, fun little things you've thrown on a character? Anybody in chat have any fun things, too? Because um, I've had characters with, you know, half of a face gone fully uh, cybered. Obviously, i done, like I said, the, the really old people, which I think, can say a lot depending on where they are or how they're interacting. Um, going extreme with it, like, you know, super big people, small people, um, obviously, you know, drastic extremes in any measure can be memorable. Um, are there any other weird uh, quirks or things you've incorporated into NPCs? Any fun little flavors that come to mind? And chat, too. So uh, one of the things I think is uh, an easy way to make characters differentiatable is uh, just include some character art, right? So, you know, go online, find some character art that you assign to that NPC. That way, um, it, one, gives you the ability to structure a character and, like, how you do that kind of... or It gives you an idea of what they look like. It gives the characters a better idea of what they look like. But then you can riff on that art um, to describe, like, what they look like, how they act. Um, And the but it also is like it makes it way easier to be like oh wait who was that guy again because people will remember that image so um you don't have to be like you know what was the chief please like was that different from the sergeant um so yeah like uh uh i think it was pwb said uh he introduced caped vigilantes into his world i like that 
Um, and then what was it? Uh, not Bob talking about full on Borg, Omega full body replacement, something wrong about a person who looks perfect. Um, uh, Manticore. I like this one too. A jeweled metal face. Uh, jeweled metal face plates, kind of like a grill, but way over the top. So like how you'd have like a decked out grill, but maybe they have like all these jewels patterned over like metal plates on their face. Um, I like that too. Like thinking about like, not just what's now or extreme or like, um, like your, your clothing, your hair, you know, scars or things that you've had, but thinking about into the future or into the world of cyberpunk. So thinking like, what does the future hold for interesting body modifications and stuff, right? It might not only be tattoos and piercings, but like you said, metal plates with like stud jewels on them and things that is like the equivalent of having a grill. <laughs> yeah, I like that yeah. idea. Um, uh, a character that uh, I think is really interesting um, is a is a character who not Bob ran in the game, who's an NPC, who was like the target of a, a people were trying to hack and steal something that he made, but one of the things that was most iconic about him wasn't any physical description, but it was how he treated other people. And everybody remembered him because he was the biggest douchebag in the entire world, Tony Bendorf. Um, he was a super programmer who could do all this stuff, but he was just like the biggest D-bag in all of history. But he was so profitable to the company on all the code that he wrote that no matter what he did, no matter how horrific the sexual harassment um, or stealing other people's lunches or, you know, farting in the secretary's face, all this just like juvenile horrific bullshit that he did. They just kept giving him things over and over again. Um, and the players kept hearing different reports and finding, you know, emails about all this stuff. And so you didn't even describe the character in person, but he... Not Bob actually provided the players a dossier about how terrible he was um, and, and then kept giving us more stupid, horrific things that he did in office workplace to describe this guy. You got the full picture of just like how juvenile and stupid he was um, that you didn't even have to necessarily meet him in person to have a complete view of who this character was. So it was really like capturing snippets of their behavior that I thought was a really cool way to describe them. Nice. Oh yeah, definitely. And again, that lean, that leans into the show don't tell, right? Yeah. You know, you're kind of giving it real life stuff that the players are feeling and experiencing, not just being, you know, info dumped upon, you know, they get to experience it and it feels real and that's that's important. Um so yeah, aside from uh, you know, personality things and and characteristics and motivations and building NPCs, you know, being associated with districts and potential roles and just everything we've discussed let's talk about stats and stuff right um let's talk about how we create our npcs and first let me say obviously in the cyberpunk red rule book in the uh the data pack um which i'm going to be doing a stream about and showing off that in the in the deck cards and all kinds of goodies um obviously they have pre-gens right they have kind of the mooc they have Everything from like the security guard up to the cyber psycho to the road warrior to the booster gang and it's like all these things from like low level up to top level and everything in between different flavors. Those are great to use. They're very fleshed out in stats, meaning like it's it's got like all the stats you're gonna need. It even has the block of all the skills and, and what the the number is gonna be. So all all you have to do is roll the D ten and add it to it. It has all the equipment and gear listed. It's perfect. Those are great to use. 
and they're interchangeable. You can take any of them, and if it's a low level, that can equate to any NPC you might have that is low level or higher level, you know, and you can kind of change those around and use them, and that's great. Use those. But another thing that I do in my notes, uh, and especially, like, on the fly, I'll do this a lot of times, like, if players start interacting with an NPC that maybe was just kind of, you know, like you put earlier, set dressing, right? And it, all of a sudden it needs to become something interactory or something that they're going to fight with or, you know, engage in some type of social skill, something uh, contested maybe. I'll at least throw together my basic equivalent of a combat number, like RTG puts out, right? It'll be like, you know, whatever their dex or reflex might be, plus whatever type of combat skill, and that's going to be my root number that I add my D10 to. But I'll also make one that'll be like the equivalent for my intellectual or social skills. So there'll be that kind of like action-y sort of number and then the more social sort of number. And I might have both of those on different tiers based on what type of NPC it is. So I might start with like a 6, an 8, a 10, going up to 12 rare occasions of 14, which might be the equivalent of having like, you know, an 8 skill um, and like a plus six or a, an eight stat in a plus six skill, right? So your base might be a 14. So that's kind of how I'll judge it. I'll be like, oh, it's a low level, just a, a, an average person in the city that isn't an edge runner by any means. Their base number is only going to be like a six. Their, their stat is like a, a, a six and they've got no skill in that. Or their stat is a four in that and they've only got a plus two in that skill, you know, all the way up to like I said, a 14. But I'll kind of do that in increments of six, eight, 10 and 12 in the rare occasion 14 if it's the equivalent of like what the, the edge runner might be encountering um, and usually I'll do those on the fly like I said if it's a more fleshed out NPC I'll work with using some of those pre-gen RTG ones and then manipulate it into my own uh, but most of the time my outline is just those bare bones stats and a little list of like what weapons cyberware uh, some gear and sometimes I'll, I'll use a randomizer on that a capricious nature part of the uh, Cyber Nation Uncensored community has made a generator uh, for like uh, gear found and scavenged, uh, you know, an NPC generator. So that's also helpful. But I've rambled on enough about the di the different levels of, of stats and how I'll kind of put together my NPCs. Uh, what what are some tools or ways that you'll put uh, your NPC stats and skills together? So I operate in kind of a similar way. I tend to almost always use the preset stat blocks and then tune them a little bit. Um, the making like complex threats. Um, so I guess one thing to, to remember is that uh, boss fights in Cyberpunk Red aren't necessarily that good, right? Because of how chipping works. You don't just want to make like a super guy who who's like stands up there and just get out it gets out action economied um so it's really i think about understanding how to use those tactics which is why i just build a threat like build threat based on the number of either mooks or lieutenants or um you know other types of characters i use um generally if i'm building an interesting encounter i'm gonna either include like a non-book mechanic uh, that i'm just gonna make up right like some kind of you know interesting combat mechanic an environmental threat that will come with it um, or a interesting way that a character is going to be uh, use, doing something. So uh, for example, is like uh, making a uh, maybe the bad guy is a tech, right? 
And so he's got a concealed SMG in his arm and a shield, and he's swapping between the two mid-combat, right? So he has the benefit of the shield and his uh, heavy SMG. Like, that's kind of a cool thing. It's different. People remember him because he can do that niche thing. Um, but in the exact same way, I might use the pyro stat block, right? But I, I'm going to use it for, like, that baby face character because he has a gigantic two-handed club that's, you know, giant baby rattle or whatever. Um, and I think the flavor that you give that NPC on top of that stat block is almost more important. You just need to keep the stat block at the point where you know it'll give the threat to the party that will make them fear for their life without necessarily splattering them every time, oh, right? I think that's why it's good to have the sort of tier levels, you know, like is it a, a full-on boss or edge runner level person where your, your combat number or your, you know, base other skill number, any other role is starting at 14, right? Or is it just kind of that low-level average person or thug or something where maybe it's more of a base of like an 8 or a 10, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that's important. Like you said, you don't want to just always think like... Um, you know, max it out all, all the time, make it a conflict, make it a struggle. It needs to be equivalent to the level of encounter that you have. But then also maybe think outside the box with that, like you said, where it's not just always uh, maxing out that combat number, but giving it some other sort of flavor to it where, you know, he's got the shield, the weapon, or he's just, uh, you know, super good with a, with persuasion and stuff and you're doing contested roles during combat where he's like talking to the players while exchanging shots from behind cover or behind some drones or things they got to get through first or however you kind of prolong that uh, encounter or whatever but I think that there's ways that you can make it dynamic where it's not just alright you shoot now I shoot now you shoot now I shoot now you shoot oh AP, uh, HP has been down to zero oh death save failed okay he's dead now moving on that was combat <laughs> like yeah you got to make it interesting and i think uh the the diversity of your npc will kind of be the fuel behind that uh engine or whatever to kind of i don't know be the motivation to, to help you break out of that norm or whatever that monotonous back and forth you know yeah um in the chat bob put out something really good so uh for the people out there looking to like build uh build frameworks around their npcs and around their villains um, uh, Mike Ponsmith has written all sorts of stuff about how to make the cyberpunk world more hardcore and more fucked up, right? And so Listen Up Primitive Screwheads is, I think, a great really great book. one. Uh, it's yeah. so good. Um, but the quote here is, sit down a moment and put yourself in the position of the bad guys. What do they fear? What are they worried about? What do they value? For starters, they fear getting killed. And they worry about, uh, and they worry about it means that they will do just as much as any player character to prevent this from happening. If the player wears armor, the bad guys wear armor. The player sets traps, the bad guy sets traps. The players are cybered up, the bad guys are cybered up. In short, your NPCs are player characters. So think of them like that. They aren't, you know, we talk about them as mooks and they are story obstacles to overcome. But in terms of their behavior, I think the, the best part about cyberpunk is you're not the hero. You're just some motherfucker right. who's going to die in a gutter too, just like this other dude who you're about to shoot. And everyone should be on a semi-even playing field. Yeah, make them human, you know, like it's not yeah. a fantasy game where, you know, everyone's got potions and magic to come back to life and like this outrageous stuff. Like you got to make it human. And I think that's important to put that in there. Um, but yeah, primitive screw, uh, you know, what, what a primitive great, screwhead, super good. Yeah. Great, great book to quote from. And I agree with, uh, um, 
you know, like I said, giving giving those NPCs motivation. Put yourself in the in the shoes of the NPC, uh, whatever NPC. It doesn't not not just an enemy, uh, you know, where it's like I fear death and things. But a great way to look at creating any NPC. It'll help you kind of figure out what any motivation or um, conflict or any personality trait thing is. Put yourself in their shoes. Whether you know maybe they're not an enemy, but they're just working this nine to five. Well, fuck. Why are they? stuck here doing it and they can't get out of the combat so why don't they just go to school and get a better job well because of this and that like you know you can quickly kind of break down the reasoning and and humanize uh that npc make it realistic and and again to reiterate like no one's a hero in it it's not a fantasy game so you you gotta uh keep it real like i was jokingly like i said keep it real like the kids used to say back in the 90s you know keeping it real <laughs> like but i always joke with that but it's very much so uh when playing cyberpunk you have to Keep it real and keep it like I think it's it's been quoted numerous times in Cyberpunk. Micah said like keep it on that street level. Um, it's very personal and it's very street level and very survival uh, sort of feeling. No one's trying to save the world or do this huge epic hero journey or sort of thing. Well, maybe you are. Maybe in in your yep. game you know you play that way and there's nothing wrong with that too. But typically Cyberpunk is very you know street level, very personal, very cutthroat and very real. And because of that, it's not not everyone is fighting to the death, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, rocker rocker boys are great for humanizing NPCs on the fly. Um, who would be a fan? You know, I, I totally agree, Jenny. And sometimes I like with rocker boys not just a fan, um, but yeah, they recognize them uh, in that sense. Like you decide if they're a fan, so that charismatic impact plays in. But maybe it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of you. I hate your music, or I hate what you do with your artwork. You know, so like they recognize them. Like that rep works. That that rocker boy, you know, role has played in but maybe it's not always positive you know um i love doing that uh feels great to uh, turn someone into a fan and completely change an encounter that too that's a great thing like you do some persuasion and you know some good social skill roles and all of a sudden that that, that npc turns around hate, uh, hate can be manipulated absolutely what were you saying uh just one of the things that i think is like the biggest rookie move in statting npcs and statting mooks is giving baseline mooks eight reflexes. Guys, I see this all the time. Right. <laughs> Don't make every mook have eight reflexes. It is super rare for people to be able to dodge bullets. Yes. Are your edge runners probably all able to do it or most of them? Yes. They get the benefit of being players, though, who have custom built their characters. The, the NPCs who you're describing are average run of the mill goons who aren't super they're powerful not, edge runners not edge runners exactly yeah so don't make them do this because the npcs that they encounter who can dodge bullets will make your players crap their pants so like make sure to preserve that stuff to showcase that the to use as a storytelling tool that the threat has been escalated if everyone can dodge bullets one it makes encounters really fucking long so don't do it right. and then two um it is going to uh take away from how valuable and rare that is um and it should be something that is the providence of um of like edge runners and like super high-end corporate security and when you're like describing the cyber psycho assassin who's like you know shooting across and they activate their sendivistian or whatever it's called and like you can you know if your players have played 2077 you can kind of give them the the same lingo there of like well they're moving so fast that it's like they're slowed down in time um like that's the type of person who's going to be dodging bullets with eight reflexes so think right. think not about when little, you use that and use it judiciously not, 
Yeah, not the typical little security guard or booster ganger. Like, don't give everybody reflex eight. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if you want to add more threat, add more goons. It makes players better to have a high body. It makes players feel better to have a high body count. And the, the real secret is that uh, you have to kill all the NPCs, but the NPCs only need a crit once to fuck you up. Right? So it's true. Uh, you can have a bunch of goons and there'll still be a high threat because randomness is horrific and cyberpunk system is unforgiving. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, a, a, a true on lowest stat level go ganger with a shotgun is bad news. Like, uh, can still do really bad things. So, uh, true. and even if it's like a poor quality shotgun, right. Um, they'll still mess you up. So, uh, th think about that when you're crafting encounters on, um, that, that they not every character has to be super powerful. They can be bad and, and shittily built and still be deadly. Exactly. That's a good point. You know, dice are still dice, you know, and there are some things that randomly can happen that can really shift uh, the direction of combat, you know. Um, as far as stats and equipment, all that, you know, we talked about really leaning on Cyberpunk Red pre-gens, and they've provided such a an array of options, you know, that you can kind of manipulate into your own or whatever. But is there anything on your own that's not included with that? Any cool little tips or things that you do? Like I said, I kind of, like sometimes if I'm on the fly, I'll have two uh, equivalents of like what a co what they call their combat number. Like anything that's going to involve some type of physical thing is going to rely on this sort of combat number. Uh, you know, if, if anything is more into, uh, uh, you know, social skills, intellect, or that sort of thing, it's going to rely on this number. So I'll kind of have those two base numbers. I'll lean on back and forth. And then I might have like, a list of just generic gear and how much money they might have on them. Like if they, if the players end up killing them, looting them or talking them into it, or if that ever happens to come into play, whether good or bad NPC. Um, are there any other like little tips when it comes to creating NPC stat creating with that? Any cool little things you want to mention? Um, yeah, sure. So it, if you're doing if you're doing NPCs on the fly, right, like you described, I think the combat number tool and just the target number tool is really good to describe. You know, somebody who's throwing 14s is super good in whatever it is. It it could be a corpo who's throwing 14s on human perception, like they're a beast, you know. Um, but if they're but his combat uh, a, number might be like a six or an eight, yeah, or, or whatever, comparatively, you know, you know? yeah. yeah. So just use it to just use it to communicate um, how how skilled they are in that relative task, and just be comfortable with fluxing that number from, you know, between four and fourteen. In insane scenarios, you might have NPCs throwing sixteens or eighteens, um, especially in in some of the categories that can be weared up pretty easily. Um, the uh, I think the one that is fun is I have built that I haven't deployed yet, but an NPC who can throw 18 dice to personal grooming and uh and wardrobe and style right like they're maxed out um and also have leveled up the stat and also use all of the bonuses available from where oh yeah i have, so, a, I have a fixer that's kind of like that in my game that same dangerous one that uh shot and killed his own uh one of his own people that was uh, stealing from him that sort of dangerous guy and he has a really high wardrobe and style because he's just real slick and like you know yeah I love, uh, you know, getting creative with stuff like that. And that's something else to keep in mind, too, when creating your NPC and reflecting the personality and how they are within the stats and skills. Um, think about doing something creative like that, like dr dropping a lot into something like wardrobe and style or something really, like, niche or something that gives them just some weird, 
uh, expertise in something particular, you know, and that kind of bleeds into their personality quirks and things. So, so many ways you can kind of uh, develop these NPCs, you know, just diving into uh, uh, skills and then uh, uh, building from that with personality traits and such. A bit of a reverse engineering, you know? Yeah, w one thing that's been brought up um, by Jenny and Bob is in the chat is um, NPC NPC villains and, and mooks that have like actual class levels are rare, but when you have them, make sure to use them to their fullest ability, right? These just like the the maximum Mike said thing, or maximum Mike thing said, uh, if they have abilities, they're going to use them. If you have solo points, allocate them to the right spot every time. If they're a solo who's looking out for an ambush, those points are going to be in perception, right? And when they're in combat, they might be throwing them to damage, or they you know they might be throwing them to uh, get rid of uh, you know uh, get rid of whatever it is the I've not blanked out. Um, the thing where they don't glitch or whatnot, but you know they're going to use oh, yeah. the abilities correctly, right? Recovery, um, fumble, recover. Uh, there we go, fumble, yeah. recovery. Yeah, um, and so like, uh, yeah, you know, when you have rocker boys, when you have execs, like, when, like when you have an opposing exec, make sure they have the right amount of mooks statted out. They already have the mooks statted out for you. Use them, right? So like, yeah. if you're going up on a corpo, make sure that they have a driver and a bodyguard, you know, all doing their stuff, right? Um, and it's gonna it's gonna make the game feel more consistent. Where you have a corpo who only has one minion, and they've got a corpo with four minions, you're gonna know that you're no you're not the biggest dick here. Like these guys are gonna flex right. on you, so watch <laughs> out. Um, and and it does, and I think that's important. It sets the context of the world, right? I think the most important thing is uh, always knowing that there's a bigger fish. Um, and so when you provide those bigger fish in the world, make sure that the players know it and can see it. Oh yeah, and even then, sometimes players will still flex. Like, lots of players still will lean into that hero role. Sometimes, you know, and no matter how big you make the the crime boss or the militia or the exec or whatever, they'll still be like talking shit and trying to contest persuasion conversation roles and like, you know, threatening and like. And sometimes you gotta like, like you said, kind of show it rather than tell it. You know, you've gotta have have some security step in have them flex muscle a little bit have, have them flex their connections or maybe their legal powers a little bit you know something that's a little bit beyond uh, the players just being able to muscle their way out or get a good persuasion role way you know away from that situation like make it a little bigger a little more epic and don't be scared to also lean into uh uh you know cinematic moments too where like Maybe it doesn't have to be a contested role, but it's a moment that you drop in as a GM that that happens, and it's not something that can totally be avoided because it has to play into the story as a whole. And maybe that can also show, not tell, um, the caliber of an NPC. You know, like an epic death or kill or uh, something where they call in a favor, and all of a sudden, you know, police or political power rolls up or something crazy where you're just like, holy shit, okay. Uh, I can't get out of that. That was a huge flex, and now I, I understand the caliber of this NPC. And like, you know, don't be scared to pull some uh, cinematic moments where it's, uh, you know, not railroaded uh, into the full plot or anything like that. Don't get me wrong, but you know, just a moment within a scene uh, that just sets a tone. You know, something epic. So, I think one of my favorite things about Cyberpunk, and I have 
learned this from not Bob. I'm going to give him all the credit. Um, but sometimes taking away agency from players is both really fun and also sets the context that the world is just not fair. And sometimes you get fucked. Like um, one of the runs that uh, he did was uh, the opening scene is your container is getting uh, blown up with C4. And somebody is blowing up your front door and coming in to kill you. That's the beginning of the run. That's how right? I started my one, my recent one shot. Uh, I started it off with uh, the front of their home base being blown up. They were doing their morning rituals, and after they were talking their morning, I said, "Okay, everyone, roll a resist torture and drugs." Uh, okay, the ones that failed, you were unconscious. The other ones, your ears are ringing. You're confused on what just happened. Is you're surrounded by rubble and dust, and the other players are unconscious around you. It's car alarms are going off out front. People screaming. I've also started ones where people just woke up naked, zip-tied in a bathtub by the Yakuza, right? And they had to, like, fight their way out. If they had cyber weapons and things, good. Otherwise, they had no weapons, no armor. They're just naked, zip-tied in a bathtub. I love starting. I think it's, what's it called? Intermedia. In media res. In media res, yeah. I, uh, like, I love starting like that. I think it's, you know, it's, it's very cinematic. Uh, it's, it's not railroading when done right. It's absolutely, like, part, yeah. you know, it's a catalyst to everything else being very immersive and and real life you know like you said like real real life is very unforgiving so don't be scared to kind of push those epic moments i my sirenscape uh, i don't want to give away too much of the ending of the snippet in the bud campaign but i mean everything went to shit i mean i can't get into too much but like they they, they were left you know treading water and like having to pull a favor to get saved and like um, you know, things can, can be epic and kind of crazy, and I, it can be a lot of fun for the players. You know, don't be scared to, to, to push those limits. Um, so I agree with yeah. Bob 100% with that. Yeah, and that's uh, the there's another thing that I think uh, that is taken for granted all of the time, um, but with sophisticated NPCs, or sorry, with the average players, the players have um, strategic initiative, right? In general, the, the players are acting on NPCs. That's how the game normally works, right? And the NPCs are reacting to players' interactions. The game gets really dicey and really fun when the opponents have strategic initiative and the NPCs are acting on the players and players are not used to it. And it makes them really nervous and weird when they're being surveilled, when they're being researched, when people are figuring out where they live and who they like, when there's edge runners that are just as competent as them coming after the same goals. Uh, players get players get uncomfortable really quick when they start seeing their tools used on them and that's i think a phenomenal part about the grittiness of a cyberpunk universe where like yeah you can probably roll over uh, a whole bunch of mall cops but uh biotechnica's top level security is probably not people to be fucked with and they probably can right. do some hardcore research and you know boots on the ground and start tapping phone lines and um they might have the strategic initiative on you and so think about as a GM when it's appropriate to use the strategic initiative, because just because uh, you got to be judicious when you take away player agency, because uh, it needs to benefit the story. Because a lot of times, oh, yeah. if it feels like railroading, they just feel fucked. Nobody has fun there. But when you do, when it has story backing, like, hey, uh, by the way, uh, you pulled into this parking garage and the gate's closing behind you. Wait, why? Well, actually, uh, this guy who's been following you succeeded on his, you know, uh, decrypt encrypt role, uh, found your comms. You said you were going to this place to go get lunch or pick up your daughter from school. And uh, you're about to get gunned down in a parking lot because there's a person who's acting on you. Now, that's a cool story beat that has an actual reason behind it. So oh, yeah. th think about strategic yeah. initiative and, and agency 
Um, yeah, my favorite to do, like I just did a recent stream too. I've, well, I've done it in the past too, is, you know, their apartment blowing up, you know, or being searched by people in suits, like while they were away on the Drift Nation and they had their like low level minion guy kind of watering the plants and feeding the pets. They got a call from him in the middle of a mission, like, holy shit, I'm standing out on the windowsill. You know, there was a banging on the door, and uh, I, I looked out through the peephole as I saw all these guys in black suits um, trying to kick in the door. I grabbed the pets. I'm out on the windowsill. They're, they're ransacking the apartment, and, like, you know, you can do stuff like that. Or they go in, they search it, they leave, and everything looks normal. Nothing yeah. is different, you know, but they were here, and, like, who is that? But it, it's a throwback to the previous campaign uh, where – and, again, I don't want to give away too much. Some of my players watch my series and things, but – you know, there's repercussions for everything you do, and I think as long as it makes sense to the story, it's immersive, and you keep it, you know, don't be scared to have it really fucking dangerous and epic, just like real life, you know, like, uh, uh, I think it's, you know, it's in the book, they talk about, you know, uh, if you, you you fail the death save, what's what's the name of your next character, what's the next role you're going to play, like, don't be scared, um, I've had, char- you know, players die as well from crazy decisions or the way things have worked out and stuff, and it's never been bad. Like, it hasn't happened a lot. It's happened, like, once or twice. We, we had a planned one recently. A player had to leave an unexpected one in the past. Um, but to me, all epic moments are awesome as long as, like you said, it, it, it is part of the story. It makes sense. Uh, it's some type of, like, repercussion or reward scenario. Um, and it can be cinematic. It can be absolutely just uh, out, outside of player agency. And But if done right, it can be really fucking cool. Uh, one. This is just me telling a fun story that I like. I I ran a run on Night City Stories uh, called "This Will Not Be Fun and You Will Not Get Paid," uh, <laughs> and surprisingly, people still applied to play in the game, which was great. Um, and I gave them no description of what was occurring in the game at all. I just informed them that it wasn't going to be fun and nobody was going to get paid. <laughs> uh, and um, the game opened up with uh, the two people. Um, Uh, had been kidnapped and were in a simulation mentally torturing them um so it opened with all right roll to see how much humanity you lose that's how the game started um now i took agency from them but the entire thing was to set up a a redemption arc and it felt really good um because they they managed to uh get out of that simulation and break out um they uh, and now they're trapped in this lab, right? Now, what do they do? They're naked, trapped in a lab, and there's a scientist sitting there who has headphones on working at a desk, and there's a scalpel on the table, and there's a fire you know, a fire extinguisher. It's like, all right, well, now you're this naked, goop-covered solo who grabs a scalpel and is, like, stabbing the scientist. All right, well, now they're calling down to the scientist. What do you do? I'm escalating the threat right. as they're all this bad stuff, and they're figuring out what's going on and why they're here. And so if you you use it to set up cool story pieces it was it's one of the more fun games that i've run i really enjoyed that um but it but it wouldn't have been nearly as fun if if they were like all right well you're hired to go do this thing like something really horrible happened to you and now you're figuring out why and um and making it all happen it also ended up with uh infernal suspenders recording an in-character podcast because their character was a media um ranting uh in a boston accent about the uh, crimes that they just committed a plus work so (laughs) that's awesome well hey we're going on some really fun tangents that i think we should hold back and turn into future episodes like we mentioned before 
Um, but as far as covering, you know, anything and everything NPCs, as far as Cyberpunk and Night City during the time of the Red and beyond, I think we covered a lot of great things here. Um, we went over, you know, the, constructing an NPC, looking at the personality traits, the quirks, um, giving them motivations, uh, you know, just really putting depth into the NPC, uh, whether it's driven by uh, whatever they have going on, uh, negative or positive, whatever district uh, or job they might be involved with, how it might be involved with the story, potential plot hooks, um, you know, uh, not being scared to make them epic or just some background, being prepared to change them from either or, depending on how the players interact. Um, and then we got into, like, our ideas on the stats and skills and numbers, uh, throwing them together uh, with a couple quick numbers or leaning on some of the, the pre-gen stuff, making them your own. Um, again, I think we covered everything and then some as far as NPCs. Thanks, PWB, saying he learned a lot tonight. Good stuff. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, that being said, man, I'm, I'm glad uh, you're back in the saddle. You're rocking the Night City Live series with me again. Uh, before we wrap this up, why don't we just... Uh, pass the mic back and forth give ourselves a quick plug why don't you tell people uh where they can find yeah. you online and everything you got going on so yeah um if you're looking to play night city story or if you're looking to play <laughs> cyberpunk red and you don't have a home game or you have a home game and you just can't you want to get your fix and you want to play some more come check out night city stories the largest living community um or might be west march's game you might know that term better um of cyberpunk red online today um you can find us on reddit at www.reddit.com slash nightcitystories um, and that'll have all the stuff in there on how to make a character, how to join the Discord community, um, and how to be uh, how to become a GM. I think one of the coolest parts there is if you're a player who hasn't really GM'd before, um, the stories team is more than willing to teach you how to uh, you know help you how to become a GM and how to become a cool uh, cyberpunk red GM which has a little bit different pacing than a lot of other games, but also has one of the best GM sections of any core rulebook that I've ever seen. Um, so check that out. Come check out Night City Stories, um, and uh, and let's play some Cyberpunk Red together. Oh, yeah, well put. Everyone check it out when you get a chance. Um, and myself, I'm GM Rob Mulligan. I'm the founder of what was Cyberpunk Uncensored. Now it is Cyber Nation Uncensored. And speaking of becoming a great GM, check out uh, Cyber Nation Uncensored on YouTube. Uh, it might still currently have the U URL uh, Cyberpunk Uncensored. I think uh, they're in the process of updating their system there. But if you check us out on YouTube, we have a whole GM Tips series that I've put out. Uh, I'm up to 20-something episodes, all kinds of quick little digestible videos that give you great Game Master tips, as well as a full tutorial series on Cyberpunk Red. Again, real quick, easy, easily digestible videos, short and sweet and to the point. Um, no flashy edits and stuff, just me uh, teaching you uh, the different mechanics and stuff. Also, lots of series like the Deep Dive series, Night City Live, and lots of gameplay. So check out Cyber Nation Uncensored on YouTube. Also, make sure while you're right here watching the live stream on Twitch, or if you're listening to this on the podcast or on YouTube, you also follow and, sub and subscribe here on Twitch. Uh, we have lots of live gameplay all week long, not just from me, but also other game masters. Um, so check that out. We also have a really active Discord. Um, so yeah, hit me up anywhere on social media. We're trying to build up the brand and the community, and we'd love to see you around. Um, other than that, uh, Lobster Falcon, again, thanks for joining me. I'm glad you're back. 
Uh, let's plan more episodes in the future. Um, again, congratulations on being a daddy. And uh, thanks, everybody, in chat for contributing ideas, too. I love uh, being interactive and having you all as part of the live stream. You guys contributed uh, a lot of great ideas. It was really cool. So uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Take care. See you all. Sacrimation on